0: Praise the Lord, Pineview, and all of you who are on Facebook Live. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are, for being our Savior, our Deliverer, our Bandbreaker, that we can call on you, that your ear is not heavy and your arm is not short. And thank you, Lord, for our church, our imperfect church. But Lord, uh, you have allowed us to have truth the foundation of the doctrine of Christ. You put that in our lives and we thank you for it, Lord. Because that is the one thing that is most important. And we ask that you would anoint our minds and our hearts and help us to grasp a hold of your word and love it like you desire us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, tonight we are continuing with our series on the first principles. The first rules of action, the leading truths of the teachings of Christ, the first principles of the oracles of God, like the learning of the alphabet's sounds as to the elements of speech. Joel said to the ministers, weep between the porch and the altar, a description of priests in Solomon's temple, weeping before the entrance to the presence of the Lord, where the Shekinah glory was, for a restoring of what they had lost over the years of backsliding. While Paul says in the New Testament, in Acts 20, 30 to 31, also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember by the space of three years that I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. A description of, Of the falling away from the truth prophesied in the New Testament to the believer. We should also weep between the porch and the altar. The world wants to destroy and corrupt the truth and that spirit resides in our world today and not just our world but in churches a falling away from the truth. Consider. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. Or you can believe in global warming, that we only got a few years Yet Jesus is planning on coming here and spending a thousand years. Do you think the hysterical, global, warming crowd is correct? We are abusing our resources? Really? Or consider this, 2 Thessalonians 3 and 10. This we commanded you that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Do we practice that today? Or this, Genesis 2, 18 and 22. And the Lord God said, It is good that a that the man should, should be alone. Should not, not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. There are just two sexes and the woman was made for the man. Truth is and has been under attack since the beginning of time. And more so the foundation of the doctrine of Christ. The oracles of God's word, the things between the porch and the altar, the foundation. You've heard the story of the three little pigs. One a house of straw, the wolf came and pfft another was what? Twigs or something? Sticks. Pfft. It was the one that was built with bricks. Gotta have a good foundation. If you were Satan, where would you start? Wouldn't you work at the foundation? What's so special about laying on those hands? I mean, why is it named foundational, first principle? Satan wants it in darkness. Based upon what the scripture teaches in, uh, in uh, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12, 6 to 2, we have been looking at the first principles. Now Let's read that. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. And are become such as of need of of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Continuing in chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, which would be water baptism, Holy Spirit baptism, the laying out of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So the Hebrew church is told, you should have been teaching this. Because you have not used it, you need to be taught it again. So start teaching it. So you will not need to be taught it again. These seven things are the first principles of God's Word, the doctrine of Christ, and tonight, number five, laying on of hands, we're gonna talk about. Why would the Lord consider this a first principle of the doctrine of Christ, of the oracles of God? God calls this His foundation. Not a dress code, but the laying on of hands. Do you teach it? Have you considered the need? Do you believe Jesus inspired this word? It's one of his first principles. How many messages have you heard on this? How many on a dress code? Which is more important? Look how blessings were passed on in Genesis forty-eight, fourteen to 16. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger. And his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands wittingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all my life long unto this day, the angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads and let my name be named on them and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And Genesis goes on and says this in verses 17 to 19. And when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand upon the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he held up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head unto Manasseh's head. And Joseph said unto his father, not so, my father, for this is the firstborn. Put thy right hand upon his head. And his father refused and said, I know it, my son, I know it. He also shall become a people and he also shall be great. But truly, his younger brother shall be greater than he and his seed shall become a multitude of nations." So, here in the Old Testament, this was a practice. Laying hands on others to impart blessings, to transfer something. And the right hand carried a greater significance. This is not an empty ceremony. It's not a lifeless, powerless act. You who are filled with the Holy Ghost, do you realize this? Look at your hands, look at your hands. who by reason of use have their senses exercised. If you have the Holy Ghost, God wants to use these. They're no longer yours. They're his. So here, Moses is old, he wants the Lord to choose someone to continue the work that he has started. Numbers 27. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take thee, Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay thine hand upon him, and set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation, and give him a charge in their sight. And thou shalt put some of thine honor upon him that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. Thou shalt put some of thy honor upon him. This is what Moses did, verses 22 and 23. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. And he took Joshua and set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation. And he laid his hands upon him and gave him a charge as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. Gave him a charge in in everybody's view. Everybody could see what was happening. And so we find in Deuteronomy this story about Joshua. Deuteronomy 34, 9. And Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom for Moses had laid his hands upon him. And the children of Israel hearkened unto him and did as the Lord commanded Moses. So Joshua was filled with the spirit of wisdom. Moses not only transferred this that he possessed in his being to Joshua, but also manifested to all that this was the man who was to be followed who is to succeed him. The electing of priests in the Old Testament, Exodus 40, 13 and 15. And thou shalt put upon Aaron the holy garments and anoint him and sanctify him that he may minister unto me in the priest office. And thou shalt bring his sons, and clothe them with coats. And thou shalt anoint them, as thou didst anoint their father. And they that they may minister unto me in the priest's office, for their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generations. In order to be a priest, they were to put something on that was specified by the Lord, then anointed, which required someone else's hands, and then set apart to minister. Leviticus tells it this way, and Leviticus Leviticus eight, thirteen and fourteen. And Moses brought Aaron's sons and put coats upon them and girded them with girdles and put bonnets upon them as the Lord commanded Moses. And he brought the bullock for the sin offering and Aaron and his sons laid their hands upon the head of the bullock for the sin offering. So here we find the soon to be priests laying their hands on the sin offering, they are transferring, as it were, their sins onto the bullock. The pages are hard to turn. Uh, going, continuing in verses 23 and 24, and he slew it, and Moses took of the blood of it and put it upon the tip of the Aaron's right ear and upon the thumb of the right hand and upon the great toe of the right foot. And he brought Aaron's sons and Moses put of the blood upon the tip of their right ear and upon the thumbs of their right hands and upon the great toe of their right foot. And Moses sprinkled the blood upon the altar round about. Now, we in the New Testament get the blood applied to our life when we believe God's word, specifically Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Acts 10.43 says, For it is through his name that whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. So it is through baptism, believing in that name that is applied to you in baptism that gets you remission of sins. Okay, now this description of anointing is very similar to when we anoint people to pray for their sicknesses. We'll talk about that a little later on. What is significant about hands? Exodus 17, 11, and 12. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hands that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hands, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. And they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat thereon, and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side, the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So, are hands significant? Psalms 141 and 2, Old Testament. Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. New Testament, First Timothy 2 and 8. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath or doubting. Genesis 14, 22 and 23 says that Abraham said to the king of Sodom, Sodom, I have lift up my hand unto the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe so, oaths were made like the way men used to shake hands and have you ever held the hand of one that was passing from this life to the next? Or maybe just someone was hurting. Human touch is needed. Here is Jesus' last words to his apostles. Mark 16, 16 through 18. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. You don't believe that, that you need to be baptized and believe, you can be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. This is believers. In my name they shall cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Everybody look at your hands. Do you believe? They shall lay hands on the sick. If you have believed in the first four principles of the doctrine of Christ that we've been talking about, That is, repentance from dead works that produce death. Works that produce death. You need to repent of those things. Faith toward God. The doctrine of water baptism. The doctrine of Holy Spirit baptism. Evidenced by speaking in other tongues. Then your hands are no longer just your hands. They're God's. And you need to use it. You need to exercise it. But this requires Hebrews 10:25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching as, you see that Jesus Christ is about to come back. I need you here. If I require the laying on of hands. If you're not here, I'm not having church. I'm just talking to a camera. Strength in numbers. One will chase a thousand, two, ten thousand. What will seven do? What will a hundred do? Where two or three are gathered together. One is not enough. James chapter 5, verse 14 and 16. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up And if he have committed any sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. We need to be together in order to do these things. Call for the elders Let them lay their hands on you. Confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another. It appears that it is not only for physical healing, but also to heal from confessed sin. And God does not always do the same thing the same way. 1 Corinthians 12 tells us that. 4 through 6. Now there are diversities of gifts, gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administration, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But yet, we see anointing and laying on of hands, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. James is addressing believers. Mark, anybody. Our example, Jesus, the way, the light, laid his hands on people. Mark 5 and 23. And besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed and she shall live. And of course, you know the story Jesus did. Mark 6 and 5. And he could there do no mighty work save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. That was his hometown. Luke 4 and 40. Now when the sun was setting, all they that had any sick with diverse diseases, brought them unto him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And then Paul in Acts 28 and 8, and it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. Not only did Jesus practice it, but Paul the Apostle continued with what Jesus had done. He had been a light to Paul. He had showed him the way and Paul responded in like manner. Remember, believers, that's you, shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Who by reason of use... Matthew 19 and 13. Then there were brought unto him little children that he should put his hands on them and pray. So it was not just for healing, but it was for blessing. The Lord here is blessing the little children. Now let's look at people receiving the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 8, 14 through 17. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For for as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Some received the Holy Ghost when hands were laid on them, and I've seen that happen here. Thelma, Pastor, she just started speaking, speaking like crazy. How did Paul the Apostle come to the truth? Acts 9, 11 through 12. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. And hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. So Paul's first experience after he's repented and fasted, crying and blind, as a man's hands being laid on him. Continuing in verse 17, And Ananias went his way, and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. So Paul, Paul not only received the sight, but he also received the Holy Ghost through the laying on of hands. 25 to 28 years after the first outpouring of the Holy Ghost, the beginning of the church. This takes place, The 19th chapter of Acts, and we're starting at verse five. When they heard this, that was Paul's preaching, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus And when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about 12. Here again, laid hands. Could it be that there is someone that is dependent on you to receiving the Holy Ghost? you laying your hands on them. 1 Timothy 5 and 22. Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partakers of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. Do not hastily lay hands on people. Do not hastily appoint people into positions in the church. Laying hands hastily upon someone might make you a partaker of their sin. You need to be perfect. All the commentaries that I read agree that this is about ordaining men to the office of ministry. This cannot take place rashly or inconsiderately before due trial made of their gifts and their calling. Should we even be hesitant to someone who's at the altar and repenting? Should we be sensitive to the Holy Ghost? Because if we're too quick to validate and they haven't repented of living with somebody that they're not married to, Will that influence others? Will you be partaker of their sin? Keep thyself pure. Some members' gifts are received through the laying out of hands. So, the gifts of the Spirit. 1 Timothy 4 and 14. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the presbytery. 2 Timothy 1 and 6. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Anointing ministers in the New Testament. Acts 13, 1 through 4. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch, certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menian, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. So first, there are five chosen men that were classified as prophets and teachers, and they possessed gifts. Continuing in verse 2, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost departed unto Seleucia and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. So second, these leaders not only were in prayer together but fasted together. Remember Joel's prophecy, Joel 1 and 14, sanctify ye a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry unto the Lord. Joel 2.15, Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sanctify a fest. Call a solemn assembly. 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 What will this do? Bill 228. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see patience. This is the same Joel that said, Let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar, and let them say, Spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach. Have we gotten careless? Fasting and prayer brought an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Do we want a fresh outpouring of the Lord's Spirit? You know, there's a prayer room back here. On Sunday morning, come and join us. Come a little early. Spend a little time in prayer. And watch what the Lord will do. And don't forget to fast once in a while. Here, deacons are created. Acts chapter 6, 1 through 6. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Now, when uh, Greek, Greece was, was in power, they made everybody learn the Greek language. And there were many Jews that, put the Hebrew language aside and learn Greek and at the same time the Septuagint was created so that they went to synagogues where Greek was spoken and they read out of a Greek uh, Bible and then there were Hebrews that held on to the Hebrew and so this is talking about Jews one set who didn't speak Hebrew anymore but spoke Greek and the other set who and there was problem. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. Verse 3. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and and the ministry of the word. So the early New Testament church had two types of office. And this is also true in the Old Testament Levites. There were the priests who ministered at the altar and there were those who took care of the furniture and all carried it not maintained it. And in the New Testament bishop and overseer in the King James version of the Bible come from the same Greek word. And ordained elders have been made overseers according to Acts twenty seventeen through 28. So it appears to me that bishop, overseer, and elder are the same in that they serve the church in giving spiritual direction and instruction. They labor in word, doctrine, and prayer while a deacon takes care of the church in a more physical sense. Going on to verse five. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Procreus and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Prayer was first, then laid hands. So here we have deacons who were chosen to help the ministers who labored in word and doctrine, who gave themselves to prayer in the word. They were chosen to serve tables. In other words, the more physical needs of the church to lift the burden from the bishop, overseer or elder, whose focus was to be on the word, doctrine, and prayer. And don't forget rule, or the elders rule well, get double honor. So here we find these seven men are hand-picked out of the congregation and set before the apostles, who first prayed over them and then laid hands on them. Two of these men are recorded in Acts, Stephen and Philip, both of which were not only full of faith and the Holy Ghost, but had outstanding spiritual ministries. We need each other to accomplish the task that is before us, to reach the world, It requires us assembling together. In the church, we manifest loving one another and praying for one another. And we exercise it. That's the way we're going to reach the world. Look at your hands. Are we assembled together? Who by reason of use have their senses exercised. God forbid, but what if something happened to me tonight? You who are not here, your hands would not be laid upon me. We need each other, I hope you'll make it a point to come to church and be a part, assemble and lay hands on people. God bless you.